in, out. See, just there in the course of one breath, still, quiet, go ahead and raise me on the turn. I will make my best play in this condition. This seems like it would appeal to a lot of uh, high-stakes poker players. You are training your mind actively, consciously. Well, why don't I just like willpower everything? I just I can just use my willpower for everything. Yeah. Joy and and pleasure, okay, and happiness. Game theory uh, solution to life. So you could say all of this does tie back to making more money at some level. What's up, guys? Today we've got a very special guest, one of the most well-known mindset coaches. Would you call yourself a mindset coach, Tommy? I'm an all-purpose coach, strategy all and mindset. Yeah, all-purpose coaches. But when I think of uh, mental game in poker, uh, like one of the key people I think of is is you, actually. And um, uh, I've come to learn that you've been playing poker for 50 years. It's very interesting. And I had no idea that you had put out so much content, that you're also a writer, and that you're, um, you also make music. I didn't know. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I just known that you were like the best. Uh, my impression was, I, I mean, I don't, it's hard to say that if you're the best, but the best uh, coaches to help people get over their tilt and anxiety and all these sorts of things in poker. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, who knows what's better or worse, but I am, I think I'm the first. Okay. The first? You mean the first? The first, to, the first to coach people directly on the mental problems that poker causes. Oh, okay. That started okay. in 2004. That is very early, especially yeah. considering poker at that time was uh, very young and mm -hmm. no one was going on. Yeah, it was hard to beat that time frame. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got on that track. Uh, was that uh, when you were, uh, let's see. No, yeah, that was when you were poker pro for a while. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what was the shift? Um, so I started playing professionally in 1990. And then around uh, 1999 is when I started writing articles for magazines. This is back in the poker rooms. Every mag, every poker room had a stack of card players and a stack of poker digest. So if you were a writer, then, you know, everybody read you. So by the time the poker boom happened, 2003, 2004, I already had a name. I was well known on two plus two as one of the daily posters. And I was a columnist and my style of writing and my whole style of everything was a little lighter and less serious than others and far less judgmental. And so that was attractive to some people. And so then when the boom happened, this is when in Elements of Poker, I tell a story. Some guy just wrote to me out of the blue and said, hey, you want to coach me? And I'm like, yeah, I'll give that a shot. And so as with most things, once I dive into it, I go full blast. And so I spent about six months putting together a program, putting together a website. And then I started right out coaching in 2004. I was still playing a lot. I was still I was coaching maybe, <clears throat> you know, six, seven, six or seven hundred hours a year, still playing over a thousand hours a year at that time. And then the coaching gradually, gradually got where I was making more money at it, enjoying it more. And then what happened is in 2005, I coached Phil Galfon and he turned me on to David Benefield and a couple other world beaters at the time that I coached. 
And so they wrote some nice things about me. And so what that did was elevate my whole uh, visibility dramatically. So all of a sudden I was coaching a bunch of pros right at the time when every, there was just money everywhere flying around. That's like 05, 06, 07, 08, 09. That's when I did the bulk of my coaching, okay? And, and, and writing. I stopped playing completely and coaching in 2006 to write Elements of Poker. Then when Black Friday happened and everything kind of stopped, I was already a, a year into writing Painless Poker, which I knew was going to be a huge project. So for the next six years, I didn't do any almost no playing, no, almost no coaching and just wrote. And then in 2017, I started my current model, which is Zoom coaching, much easier, much more accessible. I used to do a one week program back with Phil and those guys, like expensive. That's pretty intense. Week of uh, mindset coaching. I mean, yeah, <laughs> or whatever's needed, right? It is uh, yeah. you know, whatever's needed. And, and uh, so, you know, it's just like with all the other things I do, it isn't like I chose to become a coach. It sort of just found me and that happened. And once I got into it, I've always been a teacher. I love teaching. I love learning. Um, you know, my book Elements of Poker basically came from my first two years of coaching. Those were my notes that I learned about the stuff that was meaningful to the most people the most often. So that's a brief recap. Uh, okay, I had no idea how deep your career goes back but it makes sense it is interesting always to see how things evolve in a way and it looks like uh yeah it looks like an interesting way that you ended, ended up finding a niche to get that the first start it sounded kind of crude and then you uh and then there was more and more demand and people really saw the value and then you it became cleaner and cleaner and yeah now you've got books and you got all these videos on run at once uh I didn't know you had videos. You're making videos for Phil Galfond also. I mean, I yeah. have to check these out. Uh, he's my arch nemesis, by the way. I don't oh, know really? if you're aware. I didn't uh, know that. I, I think he's too busy to watch these videos, but that's his weakness is that he doesn't see me scurrying around, and, <laughs> uh, you know, looking out for, you know, picking, uh, talking to the peep, his underlings. Ah, I see. Well, you, you seem like, you seem like you're a good person to talk to because, I feel, feel like uh, he doesn't, uh, well, I feel like he, he, he will, I can turn you to my side. That's what I think. Oh, okay. Let's yeah, see yeah. how that goes I'm, then. I'm secretly better than Phil, uh, <laughs> even though he's bigger and has an organization. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so let's talk a bit more about uh, what exactly you do. Like, how do you teach uh, people to get better at dealing with the variance? Yeah, well, the the place that I'm coming from at the root is to reduce unhappiness. That's yes. it. Okay, that's the objective. Okay. Yes, so I, I read uh, reduce pain is how you put it. Right. Well, reduce pain is certainly uh, that's another accurate way of looking at it. But the word pain is a little um, little wishy washy in the area of poker. For example, most people don't think of boredom as pain. Right. Or okay. impatience and pain. And I do. It's like any mindset that isn't either neutral or okay. positive is pain. That's that's how I define it. Okay. Okay. But a word that's a little more tangible is unhappiness. Here it's equivalent term. And right. so so I kind of look at it like there's band-aids and cures. So let's say somebody's unhappy because um, they play too long, right? They they play really great for the first four five hours, their their expectation is great, and then they sort of erode. All right. So the Band-Aid is obviously, well, you need to quit sooner. 
Well, mm-hmm. but if somebody's addicted to poker in the moment, they can't just quit. That's the problem, right? right. So, the, so the Band-Aid is to come up with tools and devices to sort of willpower your way through quitting at the beginning. But the objective is to reduce unhappiness ultimately. Yeah. And if using nothing but willpower as an unsustainable model, then something else has to happen. Something at a deeper level has to change so that that person can become a good quitter. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. That, that uh, reminds me of a number of things. I mean, I, for one, uh, I, I actually got on a very similar track to you in a way in that I, uh, or came to similar realizations in a way. At some point mm-hmm. I realized, well, why don't I just like willpower everything? I just, I can just use my willpower for everything. And inevitably yeah. what happens? And I didn't realize, I realized my willpower is not as strong as force as I thought. And then I realized, okay, well, I need to restructure my situations. So uh, to, to make my willpower uh, flourish in the right kinds of ways. And as you said, I mean, part of that has to do with some kind of deep change within, which mm-hmm. we'll get to in a second, because the, the, the obvious elephant in the room is how do you make that change? Right, right. But, um, for the people that are listening, I'm not even like specifically talking about poker. This applies to poker and life. Right. Uh, and another conclusion I came to, by the way, is that the real currency to achieve is not really, it's not really money, in my opinion. It seemed like you were alluding to this, but you didn't really, at least from what I read, you didn't like put it in exactly these terms. But now on the podcast you have, you said you, you said remove unhappiness. Mm-hmm. So in a sense... The, the real currencies, uh, the ultimate currencies to be achieved would be um, lack of unhappiness, uh, yeah. basically more and more happiness, right. uh, you can say, right. which has, um, in my view, two uh, sides to it, because, you know, um, there are people who really, who are really, really good at producing joy and really, really good at not producing joy, but um, uh, that's big topic in and of itself but uh-huh. let's go back let's back up to you to you and your career um it sounds like that's the path that you're heading on please correct me if, oh yeah okay. absolutely and i want to ask uh okay okay so we have this idea it's a grand idea it's very nice how are right. we gonna uh make that change within how are we not gonna be bored while sitting at the table i'm bored as fuck a lot of the time i'm yeah. i'm in the middle of a tournament and i and the way that i release my boredom is a little different from others um Please go ahead and. Well, I'm dying to hear that. Uh, okay, <laughs> so I'm going to. What happened was in the 90s when I was playing, and I, you know, one of the reasons I'm qualified to t- coach people on all the dark side stuff is because I've been through it all. Okay, I've been banged along the bottom for years, and I'm. Uh, just everything okay Mm. so in the 90s when i was playing for a living at the beginning i knew i had to i needed to calm my demons at least a little bit or i was not going to survive as a pro so that's how it became my quest but i had no tools i had no coaching i had i knew nothing i'm just banging around right and then in 2003 um through a number of circumstances i quit drinking and this and that and i kind of did a whole life turnaround i really hit bottom and then I, I took up meditation, daily meditation. Now, it was because I was already 45 years old and because I had already tried and failed with so many ways of fixing the demons, we'll call them. Hmm. That's why I was poised to for meditation to take fire w- within me like 
like crazy. And I've seen this with others, right? Fire is Why the fiery you... calmness of meditation. Well, well, no, I mean, it caught fire. It caught fire. In other words, within a week of doing it every day, I knew that all I had to do was do this every single day of my life and not skip a single day and everything was going to be fine. I knew that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's like my fifth book. It's called Dailiness. It's the only non-poker book, but it's about how to sustain a meditation practice. Okay. So I've been meditating for at least a half hour every morning, every single day for um, almost 20 years, in addition right. to other mindfulness stuff and throughout the day. Okay. So when I started taking meditation to the poker table, which I did right away, starting in 2003, 2004, because I was primed, the changes it made in my game and my mindset and my life were so immediate and so profound. I was like, holy cow. Now, it's not going to have that effect on everyone. But I will say in answer to question, what can someone do to permanently change the working of their mind physiologically and psychologically? Um, daily meditation and along with the teachings, along with reading, along with everything else that, that, that goes along with that. And the way I like to suggest it is like, let's say somebody's going to go to college for four years. They're willing to put out enormous amount of time and money for the purpose of being happier later, right? They might enjoy the college experience, but the but it's an investment in the future, right? And people are willing to invest huge amounts of money for whole years because they think it's going to make them happier later. That's about what it takes to develop a truly solid, awesome meditation practice that that has transformational power is roughly four years of effort. I mean, it's not a small accomplishment. Now, you can get the benefits, you'll get some benefits right away, immediately, just from one minute. Like if you and I did a one minute meditation right now, you would feel better. There's no question, it's guaranteed. So, but if you want it to be enough to actually make you somebody who's never bored while playing poker, can you imagine that? That takes an effort. That takes some serious work. What about someone who's in perpetual joy? Define that. Actually, yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, <laughs> in Buddhism, there's these states of uh, bliss, hmm. which perhaps that's different than joy because there are, in my view, there are, there must be. It seems that like pleasure and pain are dualities. So, you, like, I don't see how. Yeah possible to have pleasure without pain but it might be possible to see the biggest picture experientially somehow yeah and not be like not let like the rest of your nervous system or whatever be moved by it and perhaps that's what bliss well, is there's going to be some kind of like physiological um difference in fact the people oh, huge uh, who are meditate who are enlightened do have these physiological differences. And there are right. some stories, in fact, from history of people who have achieved such states. Right. Now that takes a lifetime of practice to get what you're talking about. We, we need to clarify some terms here. Okay. Okay. Joy and, and pleasure. Okay. And happiness, these terms. All right. So the, you brought up one of the key points. People say to me all the time, I don't want to become emotionless. I don't want to get rid of the pain if it means I get rid of the joy. Right. Right. That's what they're afraid of. So and in fact, different... uh, well, go ahead, uh, go ahead. Well, well, the 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 um, there's carnal joy, sensual joy. There's the joy of thinking about, fantasizing about winning the po world World Series of Poker. None of those qualify as what Buddhists think of as joy or bliss. 
those are still all material world attachments, okay? The joy that comes from a long dedicated meditation practice is the joy of nothing bothering you. Of like, like for example, uh, if I had, would have pinged you right one minute before this call and said, oh, I can't come. Yeah. If you would have felt any frustration, that's a one unit of unhappiness. If you have a super strong meditation practice, you can get to where none of that bothers you. Being yeah. late, being stuck in traffic, two outers on the river. So the joy is the act of not experiencing all of these little annoyances. That's the bliss state is that you know that nothing's going to rattle you. Nothing's going to throw you off. Okay. That's way different than the joy of eating an ice cream sundae. It's not that kind of joy, right? It's the joy of peace of mind of being unperturbable. Yes. Um, well, that's a, that would be the most powerful state possible, but then also the happiest state possible. Exactly. So that you don't give up anything. There's no, there's no giving up Oh, I can get rid of the pain, but I got to give up happiness. No, you give up the pain and that defines your happiness. That is the definition of happiness is like no pain. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. No yeah. mental. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, that that idea has actually fascinated me, um, which kind of leads me to the idea. Well, maybe um, and we have a lot of topics to talk about, but one idea <laughs> would it be to be effectively poker enlightened? Never feel pain from poker. Yeah. Especially like, I, I I mean, even related to that idea, uh, I would think that, you know, life experiences essentially slowly get you along that path. Like the more you experience, uh, you know, I, I would actually, a personal question for you, which I'll get to in a second, I would say, I would assume the more you experience all these negative things or whatever and overcome them in some kind of way mm -hmm. and not fall too much in the victim mindset. Mm -hmm. uh somehow like focus on the positive enough right will lead you essentially more and more to enlightenment without necessarily the deep inner work if that makes well, sense if you lived a million years yeah we're all going to move in that direction but the difference with the meditation practice is you are consciously with full awareness using each episode of unhappiness as material to practice on to get better at it faster Right. So and that's what the end of elements of poker is about. It's like instead of going to play poker just to make money or work on your game or whatever, we as poker players are way luckier than most people because we get so many opportunities to suffer. Little bits of suffering all the time. <laughs> no, really. While we're playing and in between sessions. Oh, I never should have called the river. I've never and so so the difference if you just if you just go through life without thinking about it, yeah, you will get naturally better at at fielding those feelings. But if you look at it in the moment and you're like, okay, I'm sitting at the table, I'm really pissed. Off. I'm very angry right now. Breathing in, I'm aware I'm bored. Breathing out, I smile at my boredom. If you do this kind of stuff as a training, it's literally training. That is the most accurate word to synonymous to meditation. You are training your mind actively, consciously. That's a big difference than just letting life smooth out the bumps naturally as you get older yeah yeah no i was just saying that as like for the sake of ref for the sake of example and for reference mm -hmm. as to like my own particular understanding like i'm i'm, I'm test when i ask that question i'm testing is this accurate but uh, I see. it sounds like according to you uh based on what you said I, by the way i've never been happier i guess to experience uh, these like gamified uh 
for gamified opportunities to suffer. Exactly. That's a great, but it really is. You know, I, you go in there like light hearted. You're like, I'm going to take on suffering today. You know, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, you know what? I did read in your book about this, this segment. I have a couple ideas for you, but okay. I did read in your book for uh, the segment Bad Times. Uh, I got a little intrigued by this game, actually. This game <laughs> that was like the worst possible situation. Um, but it was like gamified so that you would like survive and you, you know you would get past it at some point right. in time, uh, which I guess actually could be a hypothetical situation in life. Uh, I don't see why not, presuming there is an eternity, uh, that being one of the most important factors. But uh, I guess you could say that poker can be almost like bad times. Uh, well, that was that was the whole point of that little passage. Is you know the setup is let's say we were making a game to practice suffering, practice unhappy. And then I describe poker in great detail. And then it says, do you think we'd be and I, like, wow, what a painful game. And then do you think we'd be able to get anybody to play it? But that was the whole point is poker is, 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 is if you were trying to make up a game designed specifically to, to generate unhappiness for the purpose of learning how to deal with unhappiness, poker would be the ideal game, right? It's got every money, conflict, everything. Yeah. Uh, that's, so that's what's your idea? Um, well, I'm kind of alluding to it in a second. I would say oh, poker, okay. I think poker sometimes behaves like bad times. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, the issue is, I mean, you can still like sit there and eat sushi and get a massage or, you know, these kinds of things. Right. <laughs> right. But at some point, I wonder, at some point, it, it feels like it's impossible to take away all the joy because at some point, well, maybe not. At some point, you might have to laugh at your misfortune a little bit, if that makes sense. Well, let's clarify so, something. If you started meditating every day tomorrow, five years from now, you would still be unhappy at the table. Stuff would still bother you. Everything, it would just be less, right? Sure. It isn't like like we we can just make this stuff go away. I'm playing poker two or three days a week, and if I get sucked out on a two-outer on the river, it stings. But it's just a teeny, teeny bit and just for a small period, right? So yeah, it isn't okay. like you can just get rid of this shit. It's just a matter of minimizing. That's why I use the term reduce unhappiness. Not right, right. Your well, thought, the path is to continually reduce it. But you can you can get enlightened. You can get enlightened though. Uh, if you if you can get enlightened, you essentially remove all unhappiness. You mean permanently enlightened, like a Buddha? Yes. Yeah. I don't I don't think that that's possible for guys like you and I starting this late in life being in our culture that's just my opinion you know the Buddha, the Buddha speaking, himself started at 29 no no he no he started way earlier yeah he started meditating with the medicants at 29 for his six years or whatever but he was an old soul and saw the uh incongruity was suffering and everything back when he was in a palace much in the yeah but that's world. like i mean you know we can see that i mean we can see that today pretty easily we don't have to but you know, i'm not i don't want to disagree over this point right, i'm just right. saying that, i'm just saying that it the amount of effort that the people there's two paths to the permanent enlightenment as it's taught one is the slow path 
through meditation. And then some people just have a light bulb go off like Eckhart Tolle and Byron Katie. Those are two big spiritual teachers that are alive today. Mm-hmm. And according to their story, they just suffered miserably for 10 years and one day woke up and were permanently enlightened. Okay. I think both of those are not viable goals. Let's put it that way for us. That's, um, that shouldn't be the reason you're meditating. Okay. Well, we'll leave that one to the side. And okay. you're sort of right and and uh, wrong, according to my understanding. Okay. There's a little response to it. Uh, but anyway, based on what you're saying, it seems like poker is actually a good training ground for this kind of stuff. Like at least, yeah. okay, forget about like full-blown enlightenment. Uh, okay, right. I've lost a who cares uh yeah forget about that for yeah a second. yeah okay fair enough apparently it's possible whatever right um let's just say we can become poker enlightened we can say okay mm-hmm. i just got two outed for five hundred thousand dollars who cares mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. kind of it is who cares um it depending on how successful someone is uh i mean it'd be it, if it affected your life it would be a bit different but Maybe that's possible, and in which case, I'm thinking in my head, well, actually attaining this incredibly powerful and incredibly happy state of mm-hmm. being alive. Um, by the way, this is like, in my mind, the equivalent of playing game three optimal for life, so you become fully enlightened. It's like, you no longer have, it's like it's like playing game three optimal in poker. It's playing optimally in poker. Uh, you're, you're like, it's the aligning with logic and, uh, the emotional uh, push, the motivation that pushes you to play, yeah. that would be enlightened poker, you could yeah. say. Oh, yeah. And um, well, that's what intrigues me about enlightenment. Or yeah. like game theory. Yeah, it's the game theory uh, solution to life, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I like that. Which is why I'm part of why I'm pursuing this. I'm thinking in my head, well, okay, what about the, the baby step? For a lot of people and myself included you know there's been some talks of gamifying spirituality uh and like what does that even look like like what what does that even mean well but i mean as you very much alluded to it seems like poker like totally fits that bill in a lot of ways yeah um it's funny you should use the word gamify because one of the chapters in my book on meditation is called gamify it that's literally yeah. one of the, you know, gamify the whole practice, right? Yeah. What do you mean by the word uh, enlightenment, the way you're using it here today? Uh, the way that I mean it, um, I suppose, well, there are many different ways of describing it, but it would be like uh, the most esoteric and mystical way would be to say some, something like united with the mystical, with the um, oneness of consciousness of the universe. Uh in a context that people that actually means something to people i think poker is actually a good analogy for this and i think you know uh i've been thinking more and more but perhaps poker can be used to create a vessel for analogical reasoning for um many of the principles of life to be shown through poker because many of them are actually quite comparable to certain situations in poker yeah um and uh Okay, so let's just let's just use poker as an example. We still feel something from enlightenment, but no longer are we desiring to raise be, um, because of uh, what would be uh, I don't know what what do they call them in uh, in Buddhism uh, cravings. No, we no yeah. longer desiring to raise for these like short term bad 
strategy type of reasons like oh yeah. like he's so aggressive he's so lucky i'm gonna raise and show right, him right right that's the equivalent of vengeance for example yeah or or like you really want to win this pot this pot's really big right uh and now all of a sudden you do something that's uh that's not a good strategy and that's um unethical uh unethical being meaning that in the long run it will punish you and you've got to like work on armor or whatever right. if you can show that exists that would be equivalent in buddhism meaning you would uh bluff in a spot that's bad for a big pot something like that uh -huh. but it would be like basically a reoccurring bad strategy is also just bad ethics uh this kind of thing but basically enlightenment would be following the the most ethical path excuse me in in the poker context it would be always making the right decision um no matter what has happened to you so you're mm -hmm. no longer attached to those cravings of what you want in that moment mm -hmm. um friend and in life it's the same thing it's we're literally making the right decision um all of the time no matter what fucking happens to us right. we're doing the right thing the thing right. that will benefit us the most in the long run yeah. and i uh it's looking more and more so from my view that it, it that if there is an eternity mm -hmm. um that that uh the right decision will eventually benefit you not necessarily today but like wherever like in some right. tangible right. time if that makes and sense. Others. I mean, a lot of what you're doing yes. now with your foundation and everything, and even the blurb that you said about your thing is like, you're looking for, you know, that, that that's one part of this we have to bring in, which is so huge. Okay. It's mm -hmm. like, why would everything we've been talking about so far has been very selfish. Oh, I want to make myself less unhappy. And then I'll enjoy poker more and presumably play better and make more money. Me, me, me acquire achieve aspire right yeah but the big part of the whole thing is that any moment that uh let, let's say i'm i'm talking to uh my sister and we're having a an argument that, that something comes up a disagreement that we've had many many times okay yeah. but because i am we'll say enlightened in that moment i'm in complete peace in that moment Yes. This time when she some, says something angry and mean to me that's designed to hurt me, and this can apply to any relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of me doing the natural egoistic reaction of, hey, I'll get angry back, I'll say something elevated back, I just take it in and I'm like, okay, here's somebody who's suffering. Here's somebody who's unhappy. It's not about me. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? Okay, so the reason to work on ourselves is not just so that we become more joyful it's so that we become less likely to harm others in any yeah. way with what we say with what we think with what we do and to me that's a huge part of the benefit and the attraction and the motivation it's like i got tired of being an asshole. i got tired of doing things and saying things that agitated people and pissed people off like right now i used to be a fanatical corrector like my whole family Got to correct people if they say something wrong, do something wrong. I've gotten over that. Nobody has to worry about <laughs> me thought. <laughs> pissing them off for correcting me. But look how much happier that makes me too, right? All that conflict removed my life. So uh, 
that I just want to get that out that that's part of this. And so when I go play poker now, I think of myself, one of the reasons I'm going there is to bring joy and happiness to the table. I want to be an agent of peace in this little circle of competition so that anytime anybody looks at me or thinks of me or whatever, they get a warm vibe. I'm doing that as a community service, but it has also benefits me. It's a, such a win. Sure. Well, yeah. it's the win-win. This is what the right. podcast is. Exactly. Game, That's why I'm life. Is there a yeah. solution? Maybe yeah. poker can be a tool to be helped in a way yeah. uh, for the uh, spiritually inclined. I mean, it is like a spiritual journey. It's a spiritual, like, uh, there's something spiritual about poker in that you face yourself. Um, oh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, forget about total enlightenment for a second, but basically just like, uh, I mean, yeah, just, just the idea of using go poker as like a method to get closer to that and to see right. the, uh, yeah. and like to and see even, this even though it seems like it's a community event like when you go golfing we're really on our own right yeah mentally i mean we're on our own at the table that's another thing i'm supporting what you said that it is a great opportunity for looking deep inside you know so well not only that but there's like a little bit of a parallel that i personally noticed um that in what you were um, pointing out to like being a source of joy and a source of peace for people uh, in their lives um, in that when you're playing poker, there's, there are some aspects of the game, like what is the game exactly that uh, should be considered if you're really trying to maximize your EV, which are, for example, you don't want to be a cunt when you lose. Mm -hmm. um, you want to, how do you say, you want to always be well-mannered. If you are always happy, it actually, leads you to you getting more and more money in a sense because it'll lead you in getting um invited back to games in a lot of cases whereas yep. good content, point you're negating your ev so yeah. there's there's a pretty soft parallel between that and taking those same principles and applying it beyond poker to strategy and social behavior yeah. um yeah. overall uh, if that makes sense. It's most beneficial to be a good person at the poker table. It's most right. beneficial to be fun, yeah. um, to be ethical also. Yeah. Um, an interesting thing. But um, uh, let's get back to the topic of uh, of Buddhism and poker and all that. Okay. I mean, you're, isn't one of your books essentially about combining Buddhism and poker? Yeah, it's called Painless Poker. The premise is kind of funny. It's fun. It's it's basically me teaching a two day seminar with seven poker players. Each of them was beamed to the clinic magically at their moment of greatest pain, at their moment of greatest poker pain. So you have these seven wide varieties of characters, right? Every kind of poker player. And each of them, I, it was really fun to write because I got to write their life story and have their moment of greatest, greatest pain. And then we have this two day <laughs> webinar and they're all very resistant to all the Buddhist stuff at the beginning. But over time, they get warmed up to it. And that's that's essentially the plot of the book. It's got quite a bit more than that going on. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's it just seems like the two go together so well. I mean, sitting meditation. What do you do? You sit. Yeah. What do we do when we play poker? We sit. That's right? a fair point. I didn't think about that. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like the two the two main elements of, of the Buddha sitting meditation. Well, three is posture, awareness of your posture. So what I tell guys is like there's some of the stuff you can take to the table tomorrow and it will help. For example, huh. sitting up straight. 
right? If you're sitting there like this and you're like, uh, blah, blah, and all of a sudden you decide like this, by some definitions of the word enlightenment, that is enlightenment. That's in the moment enlightenment. You've brought total awareness to yourself. Right? Anytime you're okay. aware of your body in any yeah. way, like let's say you just place your hands like that on purpose, that's mindfulness, pure mindfulness. Anytime you're awareness of, aware of the in and out of your breathing, breathing in, I'm, aware, I'm breathing in, breathing out, that is something you can do at the table. And then the other one is awareness of your thinking itself, okay? Now, by doing body awareness and breath awareness, that opens what I call the wedge of awareness to where you can become aware of what you're thinking. Oh, I'm really upset right now. Oh, I'm really happy right now. Oh, I'm really bored right now. And every from the beginning of psychotherapy or whatever, the act of labeling your feelings consciously in any way whatsoever is a very common act among many mindfulness practices because you literally are at a higher level of consciousness. In a, you, you are at a normal level of consciousness where your brain is just banging around with all the stimuli, and then you take a moment to go up and say, what is my mind doing right now? That is a higher level of consciousness. And you go back and forth, back and forth, thousands of times over years, and, and you will get better at remaining stable, remaining unflappable, remaining joyful, whatever you want to be, because you can control your thinking. Okay. This seems like it would appeal to a lot of uh, high stakes poker players, especially, uh, yeah, especially ones that are playing in private games and things like that. I would think. Uh, yeah. Although, although you know, I coach players who play in these some of these big games, and I, I imagine if you if you sat there like that for much long, they might not bring you back. <laughs> they might not invite you back. It no, I get your point game. though. You're right. Yeah. So, oh, uh, I did mention that my boredom has a certain kind of outlet. Like I uh, yeah. just, if I'm in a special mood, I'll like just basically just make jokes or or something. Yeah. I I, I have a few different moods, but um, there's actually subtle details of how I tilt and that I will act a little bit faster or whatever if I'm in a bad mood. But if I'm in a good mood, um, I'll just try to find fun or I'll be on my phone or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and but yeah that's how my boredom has outlets and i lately i've decided to like dress up and become like a character i wonder if acting has something to do with meditation also because there's there's some overarching themes actually some mm -hmm. of the act, acting um exercises remind me of these esoteric meditating exercises mm -hmm. uh, here's, here's a couple things you can try uh, this is two things i use at the table for boredom and one is my objective when I play now is to watch every single action of every single street of every single hand without fail. Okay. Okay. How do you do that? Teach well, me how I do concentrate. That. I concentrate really, oh, really. Man. I made it my. I made this my objective ten years ago, and so this is my objective. And so, so I use that. The act of watching the game all the time keeps me bored, un, unbored, but also gratitude. That's what I was going to throw out to you. When you're feeling a little bit bored and frumpy and despondent. Just remind yourself, hey, it's Tuesday afternoon. I'm playing poker. How bad can it be, right? Fair so point. these are just tools I use. Fair point. Bad is always bad, and good are only, uh, well, for I mean, in those precise definitions, relative to your position in life. I mean, that's why people always get entitled mm -hmm. in the Western world, and mm -hmm. uh, it's the source of a lot of entitlement, you could say. Um, yeah.
Well, I'm I'm operating on the premise that we that we still lust for poker, right? And that we're going to be glad just to be playing poker at all, right? Even even if we're losing, in theory, we well, there yeah, I mean, for sure, there are situations where like if you like bust your bankroll or or uh or whatever become really sick, like playing poker will seem like a great opportunity, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, like, a game for a living. Um. But uh, I, I personally, I wonder if you could teach someone to focus on every single decision that someone makes. Like I could not control myself that much. I'm like really ADD in a lot of yeah. decisions. Yeah. Uh, well, you never, you never trained at it. You know, it's amazing what's possible with training. I mean, look huh. at musicians, look at athletes, right? They're all kind of freaks in a way, but that's because they've done so much work towards a very specific goal yeah. you know i bet you if you set your mind to it and you decided i'm going to be somebody Funny. who can play poker for half an hour without taking my focus away from the game you could do it if you set your mind to it uh okay um i was, I was expecting you to have like some method of doing that but uh Oh, I do, but it takes a lot of time. It takes, it takes more than anything, it takes a fanatical devotion to the effort itself, right? It's like losing weight. Let's say if somebody wants to lose 30 pounds, they know it's going to take a while and they know it's going to take a sustained effort, but they also know it can be done, right? Yeah. Well, if you want to focus for a half an hour without breaking focus, it can be done, but it will probably take you about as much work as it would take to lose 30 pounds. Okay. It would take that much work? Maybe. I don't know you well enough. 30 pounds? I don't know like yet. I'm talking about the length of time it would take. 30 to, pounds. Training, the amount of training it would take. 30 pounds is like a lot of weight, man. Like, you, uh, so you, you lose two well, pounds fucking weeks. Like, well, trying to focus for half an hour if you're ADHD is a lot of effort, right? I mean, But it can be changed. I believe it can. You know, like, here's what I say to people that say, oh, I'm too scattered. I'm too ADHD. I can't meditate. And I say, if I gave you a thousand dollars right now to focus on one breath from the beginning to the end, do you think you could? And they're like, yeah, well, there you go. You have no excuse. All right. Well, you happen to be talking to the guy who believes that impossible things can happen. Uh, <laughs> so, well, uh, I'll entertain that idea. Uh, what other... Let's put it to the side for a second. Uh, okay. What other sorts of um, uh, insights, what, what elements of Buddhism are in place in uh, poker in the book? Oh, in, in, in poker? Well, the one I touched on, uh, which I think is the most important, is I didn't use the word yet, is compassion. And, and compassion here means a active desire to reduce the unhappiness of others. Yes. Okay, it's not the same as empathy. It's different. Okay. okay. Right. Please and explain so, also what the difference is. Okay. Um, so, so empathy is when you, when you um, feel the same thing as someone else. Okay. So you're listening to someone tell a story about a uh, surgery they just had and how painful it was. And you get a, you get a little funny little feeling in your tummy and you feel, and you just suddenly feel your whole body go, Ugh. you know, that's a form of empathy where you're actually feeling some sort of definite discomfort a, because of what you heard, right? Compassion is a desire, uh, a desire to help. So when I'm, when I'm 
when I'm at the poker table and somebody loses a big pot and they're obviously really unhappy, they're deeply frustrated. Yeah. I, I, I deploy a, a meditation practice called Tonglen, which is you, I breathe in their unhappiness, I breathe in their anger and their hatred or whatever they got, and I breathe out my calmness. And it's a breathing exercise once per breath. In, out. So this is an active thing I do at the table. It benefits me trying to benefit others. This is not spooky action at a distance. There's nothing mystical here. It's just another meditation practice. There's many. But the practice itself is not as important to your question. It's the concept of being compassionate, being kind, being good to the dealers, being good to the floor staff as an active way of making the world a better place. Not sure. to make more money, not because it makes you feel good, almost as a mission. Sure. Well, I that that uh, resonates with me a lot. Uh, I see the logic in that. But how would you sell that to a lot of the pe poker people that are watching? How would you convince them or inspire them, maybe even? Yeah. Uh, on that mindset. And I'm struggling to think uh, myself, at least in the, the short term of the of uh what's going on right at that poker table, how does passion help them win right there? If that makes oh, sense. Well, well, you could say that in theory, and I love the idea of, you know, GTOing all this if we could, but in theory, if we are feeling bitter and unhappy and despondent, our betting, I'm, we're going to start with this premise, true or not, that on average, our betting decisions are not going to be as good. We were more likely to make an angry bet or whatever than if we're feeling content and peaceful, okay? Content and peaceful. Well, if you are constantly being kind to others, then what happens is you're likely to get kindness back, right? Like if you go up to a teller or somebody over the counter and you're bitter and mean, very likely you're gonna get a little frowny face back from them. But if you go up all joyful and smiley, that comes back. So to whatever extent you are light at the casino with everyone that's what comes back to you so you surround yourself in a bubble of goodwill and i believe you're more likely to make good betting decisions in that condition than in the despondent state so you could say all of this does tie back to making more money at some level in theory i believe okay um well i thought uh, your uh, the compassion would be to breathe in their despair yeah, it is. It is. No, but that that doesn't hurt when you do that. See, it's not like empathy. It doesn't it doesn't cause you despair to do that okay. because you're in a joyful state. You see somebody suffering. You're like breathing in their frustration. I'm aware of their frustration. I'll breathe out my calmness. Right. But it's the breathing. This is the crazy thing about meditation. There's so many different kinds, but the thing that makes it work is the stillness ultimately is bringing your mind and body to a still state and then doing something and then doing anything in that condition right so in out see just there in the course of one breath still quiet Go ahead and raise me on the turn. I will make my best play in this condition every time. I can't not. That definitely is uh, the best, most empowering state for sure.
Yeah. Better than the options. That's the other thing. It isn't like this is going to cure all ills, but it's better than being angry, right? Oh, yeah. Well, it's most rational in that sense. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing I love about Buddhism. It's like it's purely atheistic. There's no creation story. There's no handed morality from above. It's all about experimenting and what is real all the time. It's more atheist. Yeah, it's just it's only about what's rational. I would say that that the the extreme rationality is just like it just depends on the perspective. What do you call God, etc.? Um, mm -hmm. like another way of looking at it. Um, but that's something that really appeals to me because, like, a lot of these spiritual um, spiritual things seem to make all these assertions, and I'm sitting here thinking, why should I believe this is true when I can like focus on things I know are true? Yeah, uh, and I have limited time and. Right. That's the interesting thing about Buddhism is there's so much logic to it. Um, yeah. yeah. But so it's like if you read the stuff about, you know, reincarnation and, you know, spirits living through multiple lifetimes, the teachings themselves say that the teachings are just teachings. It's just words that somebody made up. If it doesn't relate to you in a very physical, real, provable way, then just discard it. It's meaningless, right? It's sure. you can definitely do a la carte shopping through the teachings and that's encouraged. You work on what makes sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, that, uh, that also makes sense. It checks out with, I, I built like a whole like philosophy around this. Uh, uh, you did. Out. Yeah. Uh -huh. Have you written this? Huh? Is it uh, written? Well, some of it. It's more like, okay. We'll get, um, Maybe we should write a book. Maybe, but uh, I think let's try. Uh, <laughs> I think they'll have to wait for a next chapter and a bit more of an experience, actually. What I want to explore with you is this idea of using poker as a learning tool yeah. to, uh, yeah, not to achieve enlightenment, but to achieve poker enlightenment. Yeah, I like it. There's all sorts of uh, variances of that, that, uh, they're basically parallels of the real world, as uh, we've said. Um, we'll have to, uh, yeah, That's a, it's an idea for the future. Um, I, we're out of time for now, but uh, okay. is there any other way that people can uh, get more information about you? Uh, any links that you'd like to promote? Yeah. Just one, TommyAngelo.com. All my videos are there, all my books are there, tons of free articles, tons of free videos. TommyAngelo.com. It's, it's all you all need right. to know. And I, oh, and I, I, the only social media I do is Twitter. I tweet once a day. I try to put out something, you know, short and interesting or whatever, you know, something fun once a day. And uh, that's it. Okay. Uh, with all your books as well, be happy to, to promote them. Elements of Poker is, the, is my main book that's still selling now. I did write it to be a quote-unquote timeless classic, and it's still flying off the off the shelves. <laughs> yeah, I've heard of Elements of Poker. Yeah, I may even uh, take a look myself. Um, well, Tommy, it's been great having you on here and discussing these kinds of topics. Looking forward to talking more and uh, and maybe even trying some of your, your ideas and practice. Mm -hmm. 
I really appreciate you having me on. And I love what you're doing with your podcast and your foundation. It's wonderful. I'm very glad to meet you. And thank, thank you. you. For having me on. Yes, great to meet you also. Okay, Dan.